Let's do that hockey. All right. Welcome to episode 89 of Dauber Prospects Radio. And on this episode, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mike Dawson, who is the Carolina Hurricanes head of North American Scouting. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks, Pete. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, So you're the first um, NHL scout I've had on the podcast, so I'm a little bit excited about this. I've had some other... um, so people who are, are professionals and, and work in the industry, but you're the first uh, actual scout. So um, this is this is going to be a good show, I think. So thanks for giving me your time. I think you got a little bit of it these days, though, huh? If you're like the rest of us. Yeah, I definitely do. Trying to keep as busy as uh, we can. And, you know, there is some work to be done, but uh, every day is like Groundhog Day. And it's it's nice to actually have something like this to break up the monotony. All right. Well, let's talk some hockey then, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So like me, you're based out of Kingston, Ontario. And uh, so you see a lot of the North American players. So I'd like to talk to you about a lot of the prospects in the Carolina Hurricane system. Uh, you guys have a, a pretty good prospect pool. I'm working on the um, Dauber Prospects Fantasy Prospect Guide right now. And I'm writing up the profiles on, on all the fantasy relevant prospects that Carolina has. And there's quite a few of them. So I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about some of these guys. So let's start with um, uh, a defenseman, Jake Bean. And you, you might not be as familiar with him because he's um, coming from the dub and uh, in the AHL now. But uh, if you can speak to a little bit about how he's playing in the organization, um, what his future looks like, and and what you expect from him in the near future. Yeah, I think he's. Um you know, probably a little bit behind some of the guys in his draft class in terms of, uh, you know, being a first round pick and his arrival into the NHL. But, um, you know, he plays a, a bit of a tougher position t- sometimes and um, he's come along really well, particularly in the last couple of years. Um, as you know, under Mike Felucci two years ago, um, our Charlotte team won the Calder Cup and uh, Jake was able to be a part of that. And, um, and then this year under uh, new coach Ryan Warsawski, uh, you know, he continued to play extremely well, kind of took his game to the next level um, offensively, had a real big year. And, um, you know, so he's trending in the right direction. And I think he's a guy that, you know, can bring some offense. And he plays that modern style where he, he can kind of skate, move the puck and, um, you know, really play that two-way game. So, you know, I think he's kind of just shoring up his game a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that we've got big expectations for in the future for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I think he's, you know, he's won a, a World Junior gold medal. He's won a Calder Cup championship. He's been at the top of the league in defense scoring. Um, he's got um, a full season of the AHL. And I think it's the, the tail half of the year before is all he played, right? So he's got a year and change in AHL experience, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how much How much do you think he has left to learn at the AHL level? And do you think he's NHL ready? Uh, that's tough for me to answer now, I guess, because I just don't see enough of the of the Charlotte games, you know, during the during the season. And since he's been there for uh, he's been there for two full years now, and um, you know, I just don't see enough of it, I guess. So I I kind of hear you know internally um, that he's coming along well, and I I think he's got to be getting close to ready. But I haven't had the you know the viewings myself to really sort of give you my personal opinion. Um, 
but I think he's done everything we've asked of him and has continued to to play bigger minutes and in, in different situations. And he's produced offensively, which is something we, uh, you know, hoped and expected from him when we drafted him. So I have to think he's pretty close. I mean, you know, every year there's a, maybe a job or two. Our, our D has been a tough core to crack the last few years because it's been deep, but, you know, we've had a bit of transition uh, through different, you know, deals and, and things in the last couple of years. So, um, you know, it's it's probably time for him pretty soon to hopefully come up and, and grab one of those jobs. I would think that training camp might have a lot to do with uh, whether or not he's able to make it if there is a training camp anytime soon. Um, and, you know, to your point, uh, Falk's no longer in the organization and you have a couple other players whose contracts are who have expired at the end of this season or will expire at the end of this season. So there's there's potentially some some opportunity there, depending on what happens between now and whenever the 2021 season kicks off. But I, I think like the door is, is pretty open for him. And uh, I guess it's just up to him to step through it, huh? Yeah, I think that's the same for, you know, every prospect as they kind of, uh, you know, get their first couple of years of pro hockey under their belt. You know, you're hopefully uh, learning and, and rounding out your game and, and, you know, being able to come in and be more consistent and, and more impactful. And, uh, you know, it, it looks from a distance to me like he's getting very close to that. So let's hope he's able to take that next step and, uh, and make the NHL full time. Right on. So let's talk about some guys that you are a little bit more familiar with in your backyard here and a couple OHL players. Um, arguably your team or organization's top prospect would be Ryan Suzuki. Um, he should have one more season of OHL eligibility where I think he's going to come in and, and kind of dominate. So he started the season in, uh, on Barry, a uh, struggling team this season. Unfortunately, he had an injury. He ended up getting moved to, I think it was Saginaw, and a uh, bit of a slow transition there, but really was on fire when the season shut down. Um, tell me a little bit about what you like about Suzuki's game and where you see him going in the future. Well, I think with the one thing we, we loved about him from uh, from day one was his hockey sense and his, and his playmaking ability. And, um, you know, that's where we kind of see him at the next level as a, as a playmaking center. Um, you know, I, I don't think he had the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, had the year that, that him or anybody was hoping he would have. Uh, he got off to a bit of a slow start, as you said. Uh, so did the team and Barry. And then the injury was a real, uh, you know, scary time for, for him. And it's something that's tough to come back from. Uh, you know, he almost, there was a, a little bit of time there where he wasn't sure if he was going to have his full vision back or how much damage was done, if there was going to be some permanent damage. So that was, uh, you know, a real scary time that, you know, obviously is tough for anybody to come back from. And then, you know, on top of that, he gets traded, which, you know, is just, a, you know, breaks up the routine, I guess. So it's another thing he needed to adjust to. But, uh, you know, I think he really kind of found himself again in Saginaw and was, was playing really well, was producing at the level that, um, you know, a level up from what he was had been producing that earlier in the season in Barry, and so that was good to see. And I think he was kind of really, you know, kicking it in gear and and playing well. That was a real good team they had in Saginaw. They were, you know, looking forward to trying to make some noise in the playoffs, and I think that would have been fantastic for Ryan as well. Uh, so it's too bad that you know the season got cut short, but I think he ended really strong. And uh, you know, physically, he still got a little bit, got to get a little stronger. And you know, he's a uh, not ready probably right away for the NHL, but I think he uh, finished the year strong. And, and like you said, hopefully we'll come back next year and have a, another dominant year. I'd like to see him play next season uh, in the world juniors as well. Um, I personally think that he would be a, not, I, 
it's been difficult for most players to be a lock for Team Canada, but I think he would be uh, heavily favored to have a, an opportunity to make the roster for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Uh, do you think that, that that I'm on the right track there, that he's either a lock or a probable, or we'll wait and see? Well, I, I think he's a, he should be a lock to get a look, but I, I don't think you can say right now that anybody's other than returning players would be a lock to be on that team. It's, it's just, you know, there's too much time between now and then, and, um, you know, guys have, have different uh, levels of development over the summer. Um, but he's put himself in a position over the years with his involvement in some of the Hockey Canada programs and, you know, with his performance uh, in Major Junior that he's absolutely a guy that I would think that they're hoping to uh, to be on the team and, and to take a significant role offensively. He's certainly, you, he's certainly capable. Uh, you know, I, it's just impossible to really forecast somebody as a lock right now, but I, I think he should definitely be in the mix, and that should be something, you know, that he's focused on as well. Right. You've also got some experience with Hockey Canada, don't you? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I spent five years uh, working for Hockey Canada, more in a development role. Um, I, I lived out in New Brunswick at the time, and um, they used to have a, some regional offices around the country. So I spent five years at the Atlantic uh, Regional Centre, which was based out of St. John, New Brunswick. So um, got in lot, involved in a lot of the programs. But like I said, most of that was at the development level, um, you know, with coaches and minor hockey and uh, didn't really have much involvement uh, sort of at the, the high performance level with, with some of the Team Canada stuff. So, um, you know, that was always my passion to, to be more at the competitive level. And, you know, so scouting kind of has brought me somewhat to that level. And, uh, you know, it's always fun, I guess, when you grow up and you're competitive your whole life, that it's, it's fun to have something on the line from day to day or year to year. Right on. Um. I could talk about World Junior Selection for probably about another half an hour, but let's stick to Carolina. Uh, another player in your organization that uh, is starting to turn some heads is Jameson Rees, prospect with the Sarnia Sting. I believe he also has one more season of OHL eligibility coming up. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about Jameson Rees and what you like about his game. Yeah, and, and you know, he's another guy, um, you know, if you want to tie it into the World Junior conversation that, you know, he's a guy that's going to have a chance to uh, probably get a look for that as well. So, um, you know, we love his, his skill, his, his hockey sense, his competitiveness. Um, you know, he's got a, an edge to his game that, you know, has, uh, you know, unfortunately cost him a few suspensions in the OHL, but um, you know, I think that's something that once he learns to kind of balance that line a little bit better um, will really be a huge benefit to him, you know, as a pro Um you know, he, his puck skills and his ability to, to, to make plays and to play kind of almost any style is, is a real asset. So he can almost play up and down your lineup in, in any kind of game you want to play. And uh, guys like, that compete like that are a lot harder to find these days. So um, we're really happy, uh, you know, being able to draft him. And uh, he had a great year last year, you know, put up a lot of points in the games he played. And uh, we're hoping he continues to develop and, and take that next step as well. Yeah, so the season that you drafted him at, I mean, he had a great season this this short season. Um, basically, he I think he, in his draft year though, he missed some time with an injury and a suspension. So uh, he had a lacerated kidney, um, and I think he just played just thirty seven games in his draft year. So he he showed you enough in his draft season, obviously, for you guys to be interested enough to select him. Can you think of? Was it just that season, or do you go back even further that you guys have been on the Jamison Rees camp? 
Well, we'd seen him for, for a couple of years um, because he did play as an underage year as well. And then uh, he's a guy that played, we saw at the under-18s in, um, in Sweden last April uh, before the draft. And, you know, we just got great feedback. We, we loved how he played, first of all, just from watching him on the ice. And then we got great feedback on his character and his coachability. And, um, you know, we have a guy that, uh, Donnie Ellen on our staff, who lives uh, just over the border uh, in Michigan and, and sees a lot of Sarnia games and had real good, uh, you know, information and analysis and a lot of viewings and the rest of us kind of you know saw lots of them too and really you know really liked them so we were really excited to get him um you know we think he can be a, a really unique player and for us in the future um do you, how do you, how far would you project him from being in the nhl i mean he's got another season of the o coming up and then after that i would suspect probably at least one season uh with charlotte um do you have any timeline expectation for how his development could go no i not not me personally i i would i think that would probably be something the development guys might be better uh, able to answer but i think you know sort of your guess is probably pretty fair where you know the vast majority of, of prospects in any system need at least a year in the american league and you know i would think Jameson's kind of in that camp as well. It's a, you know, there's an adjustment when you get to the pro game and, you know, a lot of things change and, um, you know, he'll be a guy coming out of junior with high expectations, but he's probably going to need to, you know, learn his game a little bit more at the pro level. And so I think a year or two, he should be uh, hopefully knocking on the door. I mean, I think that would be a plan for any, uh, you know, sort of first or second round pick and he falls into that category. Cool, cool. Another guy I want to talk about that's come out of the OHL that is a little bit further along is uh, defenseman Joey Keane, another player that spent some time with the Barry Colts. You guys seem to have an affiliation with Barry players. Svechnikov on the roster now. Suzuki was just there this this season, and Joey Keane played a little bit there as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, are you hoping for a little bit of rekindling of chemistry in the future with these guys? Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Um, we're we're high on all three of those guys. So, um, you know, Joey was a guy that, that we liked in the OHL. Um, you know, he ended up you know, with the Rangers. But, um, you know, it's funny how things work out when you, you know, sometimes it, you have a chance to get uh, those guys in your lineup. And, you know, we're a, a team that is, is strong on defense. But, you know, I think we, we'd like to deepen our uh, – you know, deepen ourselves at the position. And I think Joey's going to come in and, you know, he had a real good year last year uh, from my understanding in the American league as a, as a first year player. And um, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, if he can take that next step as well. I think he's, you know, got a bright future and great opportunity now. So when you have a, a GM who's looking at making uh, an asset trade where you guys give up uh, Julian Goche, uh, I think you have a, more of a surplus of forwards than you did defense. So, so this was a good asset management uh, maneuver where you traded a good prospect forward and you got back a good prospect defenseman. How much impact does the general manager um, rely on his amateur scouts, the guys who watch this this player for a lot longer than than the pro scouts who have been watching him play in the AHL for one year? Do you guys get consulted on on these deals before they make them, or do you just find out about it after the fact? Yeah, no. For me, I I just find out after the fact. Um... I think once, you know, they have the reports in the system and that's sort of the beauty of doing the, 
you know, doing thorough work in a, in a guy's draft year is that you have everything and it's recorded and, and they can look back at it. But we've also, you know, since a guy, once he gets to the pro level, uh, really once he's drafted and in the organization, um, you know, it, it becomes more of a, a focus of the development staff and the, and so the pro scouts would also see him play because they're watching the pro game. So I think, you know, when it comes to a guy who's actually playing in the American league, um, they probably consult the pro scouts more than the amateur just because they've got more current and current information and sort of recent viewings. All right, cool. Um, how much did you uh, petition to draft him when he was draft eligible? Was he someone who was on your list as a, as a player who you wanted and he just kind of went ahead of when you were able to pick him or do you, yeah, do you remember? That, yeah, that's typically how it goes. I mean, you know, you just never get everybody that you want you, a, you never have enough picks and B, it just doesn't play out that way. So you, you know, you have a, your list of guys and every team does it. And you know, those are the guys that you're interested in drafting in the right spot. And we kind of go through our list and for the most part, take the next player available. And, um, you know, you kind of win some, you lose some, you, I think every team walks away from the draft really happy with, with what they've got that day. Um, you know, and then as, as time goes by, you kind of review it and look over it and you, you know, you see where you missed or what you can learn from. But, um, yeah, he was a, Joey was a guy we liked, um, you know, just didn't fall our way that day. That's all. And there was probably many other teams feeling the same way. Yeah. Anyone who's ever been through a fantasy draft could even relate to that. You've got exactly. guys you want to get. You just don't have enough picks to get them all. Yeah. Uh, okay. Another player I want to talk about who's not from the OHL, but still in your jurisdiction, is a player I've been really interested in, and I've talked to him about him a number of times on this podcast, and that's David Cotton. He is coming out of the NCAA. Um, he played four seasons with Boston and has aged out, and you guys just signed him to his entry-level contract, along with his brother. Um, I'm a big fan. I think he's a, a nice player. He's big. He's got some size. He was pretty much involved in every goal Boston scored this season. He was driving the bus there for sure. Um, so I, I, I like big players with skill and size. Um, can you speak about David Cotton a little bit? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with David. I, I wasn't scouting his area back when uh, we drafted him, but um, I am familiar with, you know, sort of his story and him as a, as a prospect. Uh, in the system and he's you know had a great college career um i think he was a guy that you know thought about um coming out last year but you know it has the type of character and leadership that it, it was important to him to go back and be the captain and you know have a have a great senior year and then turn pro and it was something from my understanding that was really important to him um to finish his school out there and um you know i think from the looks of it, he went back and, and had a, had an outstanding year and um, sort of did everything that he, you know, accomplished the goals he had set and, you know, had a strong season and then ended up signing a pro contract. So, you know, I think there's always room for a big skilled center. Um, he's going to have an opportunity to come in, um, you know, and, and earn some minutes and, uh, you know, hopefully he can uh, take that next step. I mean, these guys are hard to find and if you can, you know, find a big guy that can, give you solid minutes down the middle it's a it's a welcome addition to any part of your organization um do you have any insight as to with college players when they play out their four years um there must have been a sense of urgency to put pen to paper with him before the august what is it 15th deadline where you lose their rights and they become 
unrestricted free agents. Um, how much conversation did you have with him leading up to that? Or are you privy to any of those sort of strategies or negotiations? No, I, I would have no involvement in that. That would go through our, um, I think through, you know, obviously the GM, Don Waddell, and um, perhaps a little bit, uh, you know, the other guys in the front office. But um, again, once guys, you know, I'm, as, a, as an amateur scout, once the guys are drafted and in the system, um, we really have no involvement anymore. Um, you know, we may have conversations as a staff, but um, really uh, after the draft's done, we move on to uh, the next draft and start trying to uh, accumulate information and, you know, come up with the best plan to do it all over again. Yeah. Right back to work, eh? Yeah, it's well, you get a little break. I mean, in a typical year. Um, yeah. You know, between the draft, there's not a whole lot going on until the Holinka, and um, you know the Holinka. Not everybody goes to the Holinka. So, and you know, when I first started out, and I, I wasn't going to the Holinka. You really, you know, you're almost like a teacher where you've got the summer off. So it's actually it was uh, quite nice. Yeah, I bet you're getting a little uh, early summer vacation with COVID here, right? Eh? Um, yeah, looking that way. Yeah, which uh, summer would get here first? I know. I'd love to open the pool. Uh, okay, two more players I want to talk to you about, and they are not from our neighborhood, um, but uh, they are recently selected. So hopefully you can remember um, pre-draft debates and conversations you had about some of these players. Um, one player that I find really fascinating is, uh, and I'm probably going to say his name wrong, he sounds like Ikea Furniture, Tukatik Sola, coming from Finland. Um, in the prospect report I wrote up, I put him down as uh, a boomer bust player. Um, he's got a lot of, a lot of skill and a lot of upside, but you know, we'll, we'll see if that all comes to fruition. Um, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on, on Tixola or what kind of conversations you had about, about him heading into the draft? Yeah, we, we, we really liked him as a skilled guy. Uh, was, I, I only saw him last year at the, um, at the world uh, championships in April in Sweden. And, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't get a ton of viewings on him there. Saw him for a few games and I liked him, but our, uh, our head European scout, Robert Cron and, and our other European guys, you know, obviously see a lot more of them than our director player personnel, Darren York as well. And, um, so as a group, we, you know, we, we, we all liked him. Um, we thought he was a guy that, you know, he was a, a bit undersized, but he had a lot of skill and hockey sense. And, uh, I think he, you know, from what I could sort of see from a distance this year, um, he had a, a great, a great season, probably even better than, uh, you know, a lot of people expected. So, you know, making the world junior team for the Finns was a, was a huge boost. And, um, you know, he put up big numbers over there and he'll hopefully get an opportunity to play in the, you know, with the men over there in the, the next year. So, uh, you know, I don't know if it's boom or bust. Um, you can probably say that about a lot of guys, but I, I yeah. think, uh, you know, that might be fair to him. I think he's, you know, looks like he, uh, is going to have a chance. He, he really fits the sort of modern style of the game, the way he can, uh, make plays and, you know, hang onto the puck and his hockey sense is really, really up there. So, um, yeah, hopefully he keeps progressing and, and, you know, getting better and better. And, uh, we hope we have a good one there. I think you do. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. Another player who's been steadily progressing is Petr Kochkov. Um, probably saying that name wrong too. Russian goalie. Uh, he went undrafted two times and you guys picked him up last year. He had that, uh, he caught my attention at the Canada Russia series. I'm sure you were at those games too. 
uh, and then as an audition for the World Juniors tournament. And then, of course, he made the World Juniors with Russia and kind of wrestled the starting job away from Tarasov. Um, so you would have seen him play in, in that tournament and the World Juniors as well. Um, I really like him. I think he's uh, I think he's a solid goalie, but I'm a terrible goalie talent analyst. So I'll let you speak to better Kochkog over me. Yeah, I, I don't uh, pro- proclaim it to be a forte of mine either. Um, you know, I never played the position. But, um, yeah, you're exactly right. We we saw the same thing, those uh, particular games. Um, when he played the, the CHL teams, he was outstanding. And he just had a great year overall. And, um, you know, our guys uh, that we're seeing him regularly uh, really liked him a lot. And, um, you know, we, we, we wanted to take a goalie. And, um, you know, when it... Spencer Knight, I think, went pretty quickly in the first round, and uh, we were lucky enough that we had we had a lot of picks last year, and uh, we we had identified Peter as a guy that we think could really be a bona fide number one, and um, you know we've involved our our goalie uh, goalie development guy and goalie coaches in the in the process of helping us evaluate, and um, you know sort of everybody was sort of unanimously on board with uh, thinking that he had great potential, so. Um, we're happy he had a good year this year and, uh, you know, he is a little bit older, but at the same time, goalies, sometimes it takes a few extra years. So he, he may still be, uh, you know, another couple of seasons away. I, I haven't uh, been able to see much of any of his action this past season, but, uh, I know we have, uh, you know, big expectations and hopes for him. Yeah, I think he's 20 years old right now and he's got one more year on his contract to play in the KHL. So I would imagine you guys will put all kinds of priority on bringing him to North America once that current contract expires and then see what he does in the AHL and how he does next year in the KHL in between. And uh, hopefully he keeps trending up in the right direction. I think he could be your future starting goalie. Uh, Do you guys have that same sort of optimistic upside? Yeah, I think we definitely do. I think if you take a goalie, uh, you know, second round is is fairly high. And, um, you know, he's kind of shown that he has that potential and he's got the size. He's kind of got everything you look for in a modern day goalie. So, uh, yeah, I I think that's, that's fair to say that, um, you know, almost any goalie you draft, you're hoping that he can turn out to be uh, a number one goalie for you. It's just so difficult to know, you know, when they're 18 or 19, um, how good they can be because, you know, the norm these days, as we see is, you know, you don't really know what you fully have until sometimes 23, 24, 25. So, um, you know, the signs are really positive. We're really high on them, and uh, we're hoping that, you know, it all uh, falls into place. Me too, because I drafted him in my fantasy draft <laughs> as well last season. So I hope he pans out big time too, and I'm prepared to be patient and sit on him for a few years. That's how confident I am in him. Nice. Yeah, it's nice when you have players that you like, and you scout them, and, and you fall in love with them, and then you get them on your team. Um, and that's why people who are listening to this podcast, um, that's what they like to do. But you're doing this for 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 keeps, for real. Um, can you think of some players in the past that you've scouted and you've been really super high on and players that you ended up drafting as a result? I Well, that's a tough one because I haven't gotten – there's not a lot of guys that you just kind of go crazy for, um, you know, but there's a lot of, a lot of times you like really like guys, but you just never had a chance to get them. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's, you know, especially when the, the real high end guys come through, you know, like a, 
and like David or some of those guys. And we were very fortunate to be able to get Svechnikov at two because we won the lottery and moved up. But, you know, normally you're, you know, if you're having a decent season and, and we've kind of been, you know, we made the playoffs for the first time in nine years last year, but we were on the bubble for so many years and just kind of in that no man's land where we ended up picking, uh, you know, in the sort of 10 to 20 range. And um, a lot of times you, you know, the guys that you're just doing cartwheels over are, are gone pretty early, but um, there's been other guys I've been interested in, you know, Reese is a guy for sure that, you know, I really liked and was hoping to get. And, um, you know, that that's the most recent one that comes to mind. Um, quite frankly, over the years, there's a lot of the times I, you know, when you have a smaller territory, when I first started out, you don't see as many guys. And so you might have a couple guys a year that you're, you're really excited about or really high on, but you know, the chances of getting them are kind of, you know, one in uh, 31. So, you know, you have to try to park the emotions, quite frankly, and not get too excited about it because you, you end up losing more than you win on most of those situations. And that's the difference between NHL scouting and fantasy hockey scouting. With fantasy, you can you can follow your heart and pick the players that you like to cheer for and, and root for. But um, when your job's on the line, you kind of got to be a little bit more uh, analytical about it, I suppose. Um, the reason why I asked that is uh, Craig Button was on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and I think it was Craig anyways. Uh, they told me the story about uh, when Henrik Lundqvist was drafted. There was their um, their European scout, and he was banging the drum. You guys got to pick Lundqvist. And he was saying he needed to go in one of the earlier rounds, and the, he wasn't even the first goalie they ended up drafting in his draft year. And he was drafted in, I think, the seventh round where he – kind of really really adamantly pushed you we've got to take this guy he's going to be great trust me pick him uh have you ever gone to bat for a guy like that before uh, i've gone to bat for a few guys i guess but we didn't end up getting them so um i don't do want to who yeah i do but i don't want to say their names now just because <laughs> <laughs> you know a, a yeah. i wouldn't want uh, that organization to know that you know i wanted the guy that bad and and b it's you know that's still so early in the process that you know, they haven't really amounted to uh, their full potential yet. This is things in the last sort of three years or so, but you know, we'll, we can redo this again a few years down the road and I'll give you those names. All right. All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the current situation that we're all going through and the impact of um, the COVID isolation and cancellation of the season. Um, the first thing I thought about was, Teams that went out and spent assets and draft picks, especially in junior hockey, and got rental players who are really, truly rental players. These are guys who are in their fourth and final season, and they're hoping for a long playoff run. And uh, junior hockey is really gate-driven, so they kind of got the rug pulled out for them, and they gave up futures and draft picks, and they didn't even get an opportunity to make that playoff money. Um, And then I thought, well, what if the draft's canceled? And all these players don't get an opportunity to have their moment in in the sun and get called in the first round and go up on stage with Gary Bettman and, and the scouts and the general manager and put the jersey on and post the pictures and do the media gauntlet at the draft. Uh, if it's a live draft, that will be something that's that's lost. And there's it seems fewer and fewer these days, but there has been a, a number of players drafted in the first round of the NHL. And that's the pinnacle of their career. That's as, as good as it gets. They maybe never even play a game in the NHL. Um, so what's your just kind of overall thought on 
the whole COVID impact? It's really, it's, it's so bizarre, I guess, you know, as I don't, I don't even know how to, how to sort of uh, articulate it all. It's just, nobody's ever seen anything like this. We haven't been through this before. And you just mentioned a, a bunch of, you know, really good points that make moving forward so confusing. And there's a, beyond those points, there's a whole bunch more. I mean, uh, you know, there's conditional draft picks. I mean, how do you have a draft when you haven't finished the regular season and you don't have the, the pecking order of, you know, the, the draft order, so to speak. And then, you know, one example I think of is, is last year when the regular season ended, you know, we would have picked in a certain spot, I think maybe in the late teens or around 20, but because we went to the final four, we ended up picking 28. So I don't know how you have a draft before all of that's played out. Um, and then, you know, yeah, to the, the junior teams you mentioned, I mean, I don't know how, you know, some of those kids, yeah, they got traded. Uh, they're not going to get to even make the playoffs. Teams are going to lose money. It's a real chaotic situation. It's, you know, I, I don't envy the, uh, the people who have, you know, have to figure all this out and, and sort through it all. It's, it's massively confusing. And there's, there's so many things that have just been turned completely upside down that, uh, I'm really interested to see how it all plays out. And I, you know, more than anything, I just hope that it, it does start playing out sooner than later, just so, you know, everybody for the sake of, uh, you know, their jobs and, and everything else can get back to normal. Yeah, yeah, there's so many layers to this onion. Let's talk about uh, your job and scouting junior hockey. Uh, you guys have had the rug pulled out from you. You're not going to get playoff games. You're not going to get a U18 tournament. You're not going to get a Memorial Cup. How much impact does that have on your decision-making process and your ranking? Yeah, it definitely makes it different. Um, you know, the, we put a lot of emphasis on at least I do anyway, but I think most scouts put a lot of emphasis on, you know, the playoffs. Um, and also the, you know, the U18 tournament was a huge one as well, but, you know, just to see the everyday guy and the everyday teams play in the playoffs. And, you know, we all are aware that the game changes when the playoffs roll around and you see kind of who separates themselves from the pack sometimes. And, uh, you know, I put a lot of value on playoff games. Um, you know, to me, you kind of really see what a, what a guy's all about. And, um, I was really, you know, excited to start watching playoff hockey, you know, in all the leagues. And uh, it's the best time of year. It's it's the most fun time to go to games. And uh, to me, there's just such valuable information that comes out of it. So, you know, without that stuff, you know, the one good thing, I guess, if there is one in this in this point in the season, is that most of the regular season was done. So there is a lot of games available to go back and watch on video. And, you know, it's not ideal, but... Um, you know, I, I don't mind watching video on a guy when I've got some live viewings under my belt. So with most of these guys, I was able to see them live and, um, you know, to supplement it with viewings on video now, um, you know, it, it helps a lot. So, you know, you kind of do the best with what you have. Um, and I think most of the teams are sort of in that boat. Um, the one good thing, too, is we've got a little bit of runway time here to, to collect information and, and to analyze video and to have, you know, we do virtual meetings um, you know, same as everybody else in the world's doing, um, you know, so we'll be prepared, uh, as best we can. Uh, you know, we like to, to do a lot of, you know, collect a lot of information and, you know, most of that legwork is done, uh, would have been just sort of the icing on the cake to see, uh, playoffs and, and the U18s, but, um, all the teams are in the same boat and, uh, you know, I think we're, they're all going to probably approach it fairly similarly and uh, we'll be as ready as, as we can be when the time comes. But it's it's certainly not the 
uh, full scope of information that's generally available every year. The combine's another one that, uh, you know, I don't know if you mentioned that or not, but that was um, coming up next. Yeah. Okay. I'll <laughs> let you go ahead with it. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So before I jump into the combine, you talked about going back and watching video from, from players and you talked about the loss of being able to watch them in the playoffs. How far back on, on video scouting are you going on some of these draft eligible players? Are you going back to maybe what they did in, in before junior hockey or, or last year, if they played in their, in their draft year? Uh, no, I, I've only, I personally, for the most part, just stuck to the past season. Um, you know, I have some reports in on, on a lot of the guys from their underage seasons, but, you know, for a lot of guys, too, in those years, um, they're not in the same situation, not playing with the same guys, not getting as big of a role, maybe not getting on the special teams. So I, I just try to watch games from the past season, and I try to, you know, pick games where, you know, they played a significant role, played a lot of minutes, um, maybe a good matchup versus, um, you know, a, a good team or a, a good, you know, if I want to watch a, if I was going to watch, say, a, you know, a centerman play, I might want to watch him per, perform against uh, one of the better teams in the league as opposed to one of the worst, you know, or a team that has some uh, veteran D on it that have been drafted who are going to really kind of test him and, you know, really try to get as good of a read as you can. It's, you know, you sort of do the best to, with what's available. That's interesting that you pick games where they're going up against quality of competition as opposed to a bottom feeder. I didn't, I never really considered that. That's cool. Um, okay. So we talked about the combine. Um, very interested in the combine. Uh, so we're, we're not going to have one this year, obviously. And there's, there's two components to the scouting combine. Basically there's the off ice testing and then there's the interview process. So, are there are the teams compensating for the the interview process by I mean you could do a a Zoom or a Skype interview with your scouting staff and and players and just pick a day where you go through and you call a bunch of guys or or have a week where that's what you do is that something that the league is sanctioning can you do that Yeah I think you're allowed to do that um we ha- I haven't done any of that personally but you're you're allowed to do that you can call you know just essentially you got to go about it the right way and you know typically go through the agent or uh, right or, or the team coach or general manager um most teams have a sort of a lead guy on it or you know a certain protocol but for the most part it's fairly uniform around the the teams but um yeah there's you know you, you do a bit of that um one of the things too you know with being able to sit there face to face at the combine is is pretty useful too i mean a lot of times it's there's a lot of them that aren't, you don't get much out of them because they're well coached and well trained and, you know, they have some canned answers, but a lot of times you can really, you know, sort of get something out of it and uh, get an idea for a guy's personality and, you know, how he might uh, be in a dressing room or, or, you know, how he might be in it to coach or play with. And um, the medical and, and, and the fitness testing too is also kind of a really important aspect, um, you know, where you find out about injury history and, um, you know, we, you can involve uh, sort of your strength and conditioning and, and athletic therapy people to give their, you know, sort of uh, professional opinion on it. And, you know, you're just collecting more information and building a book on, on players and, um, you know, trying to narrow that, uh, that list down and, you know, identify the guys that you really want to try to draft. The CHL top prospect game has uh, a little bit of on-ice testing combine. Um, do they do off ice as well? And um, does, does does that have 
extra value this season because there is no scouting combine. I don't think they do off ice, um, but yet you know the uh, the on ice, it's valuable. But at the same time, it's you know you don't want to weigh on any one thing too heavily, um, and really you, know, you can see when you watch a guy play if he's if he's good enough skater or fast enough, you know where he places in the and sort of the race at the skills testing probably shouldn't outweigh, you know, what you're seeing out there and, and how he's, uh, you know, perhaps setting the pace or at least able to, uh, you know, to keep up or play at a high pace. So I, I think it's all useful information, but, you know, maybe it is a little more, inf- more valuable this year than others because we, we don't have uh, as much to work with. Hmm. Um, going back to the interviews and with players and asking them questions, um, how do you, when you ask them questions, what are you, what are you looking for? Do you have layers to your, to your questions? I mean, if you ask them a question about, um, what their off season's like, uh, are you, are you looking for something a little bit deeper on than what their surface area answer might be? Uh, well, I think, you know, a lot of the teams and, and we're one of them, um, we have a kind of a sports psych guy, sports psychologist in the, in the room. And we had our, our guy, you know, sort of led the interview. And I think he sees a lot of that stuff because obviously he's a trained professional and, you know, dealing with those things. I don't know that I'm qualified to, you know, really ask a lot of like loaded questions or leading questions. I just, I try to really simplify it to be honest for my own personal um, assessment is, you know, I try to look at a guy and think, okay, you know, at the end of the day here, is he, is he, is he being honest about how he plays? You know, is he a good self-assessment because we, we can see him play. So, you know, if a guy comes in and tries to tell you that he's something that he's not, well, that's a bit of a red flag. Um, you know, but honestly, I just, I want guys that have great character and, and they're good guys. And I, you know, I'd like to look at a guy and think, you know what, I'd love to play on this guy's team or I'd love to coach him. Um, you know, he'd be an awesome guy to have in the dressing room and, you know, if he's got the skill and the ability to back it up, then to me, that's a guy that I, I get really excited and interested in. All right. Um, so let's stick more to, to some of the more traditional scouting things. And this is something that I'm really interested in, in developing personally. And I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast uh, are as well, like consider themselves um, hobby scouts, if you want, maybe, um, where they're basically watching junior hockey and looking for players that they can pick for their fantasy league and that's the kind of person that would listen to this podcast is that's what we talk about so when you're watching players can you give us uh, some hints on how to spot um if a player has a, a good hockey iq or not well i think there's a lot of the hockey iq are, are little things that um you know anticipation you know when you can tell when a guy's thinking you know is he is he know what his options are before he gets the puck is he you know, anticipate the play if he's, you know, perhaps on a penalty kill or, or power play, you know, does he, is he thinking ahead? Is he moving to where, you know, like Wayne Gretzky always said, you know, I go to where the puck is going to be. I mean, that sort of thing. So, you know, being smart, thinking, seeing openings, um, being ready to move the puck, you know, knowing your responsibility. It's just little things. I think a lot of the time, the little puck plays that are really smart, um, where a guy just makes like a nice little short pass, but, you know, not everybody saw that it was available and, he did it in traffic and, you know, to be able to process everything at the same time really shows you a sort of a level of intelligence and uh, analysis on the play that, 
you know, shows you that he might have a chance to be able to do that when he gets, you know, in a situation against, uh, you know, bigger, heavier, uh, faster players. Right on. Uh, next question I would uh, hit you with is, what do you look for when you're watching him? If you're watching a specific player, uh, when he doesn't have the puck, what are some things that you're looking for that you hope to see or that you don't like to see? Uh, depending on which side of the puck, I think on a defensive, um, you know, if the other team has the puck, I'd like to see a guy that's, you know, aware of his responsibility and, you know, is active and at least, you know, mentally active at, at doing what he's supposed to be doing and covering his guy. Um, I think on the offensive side, if you don't have the puck, then, you know, try to get open, uh, you know, thinking, looking around, try to move into spaces, um, be an option for your teammates communicating is a big one that's where you really uh, you know a lot of times guys that are out there and they're talking and they're calling for plays and um, you can really see you know it's, it's a clear example of of what they're thinking and and a good uh, you know opportunity to see that they are thinking um, that's probably the main thing you know just you want guys to always be responsible always be contributing uh, always be ready to to turn and transition um, I dislike seeing guys that you know just aren't interested for example, in playing defense, you know, they're, they're trying to cheat offensively. Um, you know, maybe a winger who's, you know, supposed to be covering his point, man, and he keeps trying to, to fly out of the zone and get a breakaway or, you know, I don't like those kind of things, guys that don't want to block a shot because that might cost them an opportunity to go on offense immediately. Um, you know, there's lots of little things. I, I think you just want to see guys commit to playing a team game and, and put the personal accomplishments aside and, um, you know, those are the kind of guys that you win with. So some of the things I, I, I like to go to the games live as often as I can, and I see you there all the time. Um, what I like about it is I can watch a specific player. I'm not reliant on camera angles. And I really like watching players' body language. When they go back to the bench, do they slam their stick every time they go back to the bench? Um, are they engaged with their teammates? Are they holding teammates accountable? Uh, if a goalie lets in a goal, what's his body language look like after? Does he look shaken or does he just kind of like shrug it off and just play the next five minutes kind of thing? What are some body language tells that you like to look for? I, I think you just hit a lot of them. Um, you know, it, I, I watch guys and one of the things I'm really interested in too is, you know, it, when they're doing those kind of things, it's always important to remember that they're kids and what I'm really hoping to see in a lot of those situations is, you know, some coaching or, um, you know, when they get back to the bench that, you know, they're getting, uh, some feedback from their staff. And, you know, if they're not, then it's really tough to blame the kid. If, if somebody's not, you know, sort of showing him what he should be doing. Um, you know, but I, I like to see, you know, guys that are just upbeat, positive, um, not blaming others, taking responsibility, you know, just sort of, you know, I don't, I don't want guys to be robots. You know, it's nice to see emotion at times, but you want that to be positive emotion. Um, you don't want to see guys who are, especially if they're older guys or, or wearing a letter or drafted guys or, you know, guys that are supposed to be leaders. You know, if they're not, if they're getting negative after being scored on or, you know, not setting the right example, then it, it just really doesn't provide a good outlook for the success of that team. Uh, funny side story. I, I listen to the Suspendables podcast a lot, and Russ Cortnell is co-host on it. And he told a funny story about coaching that. 
he had a kid on he was coaching his kids hockey so this isn't junior hockey or anything like that it's pretty pretty lower but still a competitive level and so he had this one kid on the team and he was pretty good and he kept slamming his stick every time he came to the bench and you know so a couple times russ would tell him you know quit that out cut it out quit it and it kept happening he kept escalating he, he told him after it happened one time he says look if you do that one more time i'm going to send you out there without a stick and of course, it happened again. And sure enough, Russ sent him back out on the ice. He wouldn't let him take his stick. Poor kid had to play an entire shift without a stick. And that was the last time he ever slammed his stick. Um, I thought that was a pretty funny story. That is funny. Uh, I've heard a similar story before of a, of a guy. There's probably been a few of these over the years, but where you know somebody has taken two long shifts and isn't coming off when the coach is yelling, and then the coach kind of makes them play the whole period or something, and you know to really kind of punish them and make the point <laughs> and they're puking when the buzzer goes <laughs> yeah or they're just you know the rest of the guys can't you know, are pissed off at them because they took all that ice time and probably weren't yeah. useful for a lot of it yeah for sure um so let's talk about uh coaching so if a player plays for a certain team that um or an organization where you guys don't have a lot of confidence in the coaching staff or just the way that the organization is run as a whole, not naming any specific teams. Um, Does that have an impact on how you value and evaluate players positively or negatively? Like, do you give them a, do you give them a mulligan on that because they play for that team or do you think, oh, they play for that team. So let's, let's put them on our do not draft list. No, I think uh, it's something that, that we talk about because Normally, when you draft a guy, he's going to go back to, let's say it's a major junior guy, he's going to be going back to his uh, his major junior team. And, you know, when you draft a guy, you're sort of assuming that he might be on that same team for two more years. And if it's uh, a team that, you know, is in a bit of disarray or isn't, you know, known for uh, stability or for running a good operation, isn't producing players, uh, changes coaches every year to... Um, yeah, I think you, you get a little hesitant because those are really important developmental years and you want a, a guy to be in a great situation, you know, and the more sort of boxes you can check in terms of uh, surrounding him with the right program for his development, then the better chance to make the NHL that he has. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's an expensive game these days and teams put a lot of money into uh, drafting and developing. So, you know, I think it's really important that... Uh, you know, that a guy has a great environment to go back to. And, um, yeah, so for me, it definitely plays in. I think it, you know, I'm not as familiar with all of the NCAA programs as I am with major junior teams in Canada, but I think, you know, when you're drafting a guy out of junior A or, or USHL and he's going to go to uh, an NCAA school, I think you have the same conversation there too is, you know, is he going to get better there? Is he going to get a chance to play? Is he going to be, you know, come out of there, you know, ready for the pro game. So we, we, it's certainly something we talk about. And I think it's, uh, you know, there's certain teams and, and coaches around that are better at producing uh, pro players than others. And, you know, if it works out that you can get one of your guys to be in one of those systems, I think he's just got that much better of a chance for sure. Do NHL teams have any sort of influence on that? Like, if you draft a player and then you think, you know, I really don't want him to play in 
whatever city he's in for whatever team. Can, is there any sort of influence you can exercise? Like, can you please trade our player? Uh, I can't speak for any other team, but I, I haven't seen that happen in Carolina. Um, I'm sure it happens, or I'm sure there's, you know, conversations like that. But um, throughout my time in Carolina, we, you know, our management has always um, left it up to the player and, you know, his decision. Um, you know, I think back, I guess, for example, to the Warren Fogle. Uh, we drafted him out of St. Andrews College. Um, you know, he went to New Hampshire, played played a year, and then I think in his second year came to the Frontenacs. I know the Frontenacs were very interested in, in getting him well before he showed up here. Um, you know, but it it was up to him to make that decision. I think, you know, when you got a guy like Warren and the style he plays, um, Major Junior may have been a better fit for him. And, you know, ideally, uh, we were probably secretly hoping he would, you know, maybe play uh, in Kingston and, and get those kind of uh, that schedule and, you know, play that 60, 70 games a year and, you know, be ready for the pros sooner than later. But, you know, it's, it's such a personal decision and, um, you know, education matters to some kids more than others. And, you know, it, certain cities or being close to family or whatever it is, uh, you know, so we, we leave it up to them and hope that, you know, obviously we give them guidance and, um, you know, but you hope that they're doing the right thing for their career and, um, you know, but they, we leave it to them to take the responsibility. I, I don't know. I can't speak for other teams, but I think, uh, you know, with us, we'd never want to, you know, step overstep our boundaries, I guess. Yeah, that would be an awkward conversation to have anyways. Um, one last question for you. Uh, so you talked about that you're doing a lot of scouting on video right now because of the the circumstances. And I'm sure that you, you do a, a fair number of that in a regular season anyways. And I've talked about how people who listen to this show um, like to evaluate prospects either just for out of fascination for the game or for their fantasy hockey purposes. But chances are most of the people who are listening to this that like to analyze prospects do most of it on video, watching TV or on YouTube or whatever, as opposed to going to the live games um, just because they have day jobs and it's difficult, or maybe they don't even have a team in the city that they live in. Can you speak a little bit about scouting on video and Maybe what some some tricks or tips you've learned on on how to be more proficient at it? Yeah, well, it's actually I don't know what the general public would have access to in terms of, of video, but there are some uh, really good programs out there um, that I know you know different teams use. We we've got access to a couple of them um, where they have they have the video and it's broken down so that you can actually go in and watch. Um, you can take a particular player and if you want, you can just watch his shifts from a game. You can watch his shifts for the whole year. You can watch every time he touched the puck, you can watch all of his goals, all of his assists. So a lot of stuff's really broken down. Um, even, even more finely than that. I mean, you can kind of filter and, and do, you know, just defensive zone, just offensive zone. I mean, so it's, it's at a level where, um, you can really almost find what you're looking for, so to speak. So if I, if I, you know, have a player and I'm, I'm really not, you know, if I'm thinking about a, I'm not sure if a defenseman can handle the puck, you know, well enough. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about his puck skills and his passing ability. Well, I can go in and take one of his games and watch all the puck touches that game. And I could do that for a bunch of games and it doesn't take very long. And before you know it, you've seen the guy handle the puck, you know, a couple hundred times and, 
you know, kind of tells you what, what you need to know. Um, it's a, for, to me, video scouting has become a great supplemental tool. I just think it's a little bit dangerous if you, if you don't have any live viewings, uh, as well, because there's a lot of things, you know, you mentioned it yourself earlier, being in the rink, you can just see kind of everything. You can see things away from the play. You can see the body language. You can see what happens when he goes back to the bench. Um, that's not always available on video. And then at the same time, some of these, uh, some of the leagues have very poor quality video and, and some of them have outstanding video. Um, you know, I, I've been really amazed at some of the European professional leagues, how, you know, these are high quality, uh, telecasts basically. And then sometimes you're trying to watch a, you know, a junior A game or a, uh, you know, just a game, even a CHL game that's in kind of a, an older, um, arena that doesn't have great lighting or sight lines and it becomes a little bit more difficult. So, um, you know, it varies, but I, I, I found it to be really useful and, uh, you know, I don't think you can ever take away live viewings and, and be fully confident in, you know, in sort of the whole information package. But it, it certainly helps to uh, to shore up some questions that you might have. All right. So this has been an interview with Carolina Hurricanes um, head North American scout, Mr. Mike Dawson. Uh, Mike, this has been a really fascinating conversation and I've enjoyed it a lot. I've, I've learned quite a bit. And I really, really thank you for your time. And I hope to see you in the rink again soon sometime. My pleasure, Pete, anytime. And I uh, look forward to seeing you in the rink as well. Stay safe. Right. You too.